So this is pod two six eight <clears throat> nine. Two six nine. <laughs> Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James and Chris Dale. Hello. It's so nice to be back, feeling a bit refreshed. Are you feeling good? Have you yes. had a nice rest? I, I, not enough rest, I oh, would really? say, but I certainly had a small rest. Uh, but this one, this pod, you'll be giving it your all full-on energy. I was giving it my all last week, believe Were it or you? not. You just couldn't tell. Yeah. I really couldn't yes. tell. I don't think our viewers knew it. No, just well, either. this week, I am the highly energetic and refreshed Jamie Anderson. Yeah, and I'm the sort of, um, I tend to operate on a bit of a level, don't I? So I'm still on that level, Richard James. Nice. Uh, and also we're joined by... One of the most consistent men in Anderson podcasting. Yes. Chris Dale. Yes, there he is. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, guys. There he is with his wonderful randomizer, which I don't know if you know this, but it's a very special machine which contains every single episode of every mm. single Jerry Anderson production. Yeah. And every week he gets one of our wonderful guests. This yes. week it'll be Nigel Planer to mm. press the button on his randomizer, select a random episode from mm. a random Jerry Anderson series, and give us his thoughts and comments. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, I had heard that a few <laughs> yeah. times before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why you decided to go into so much detail today. But well, it's really for the benefit of new listeners, who, uh, viewers who might have joined us. Well, if you're new, then you won't know all the things that are coming up. Although you might have guessed there'll be a sort of Jerry Anderson flavour. Yeah, it's very much in the title, isn't it? Yes. And it's a kind of podcast as well. It's a Jerry Anderson podcast. Exactly that. Yeah. But inside that, right. there are many things. Don't yes. worry, I'm not going to ask you to do it in any particular style. <laughs> Go on. Although, how is your Nigel Planer impression? I can't do a Nigel Planer. Okay, that would be well, rude as well, considering he's this week's guest. Probably again. best we don't do that. No. Uh, but what else is coming up today? Uh, well, we've got Fab Facts, of course, coming up in a moment, which we discovered last week uh, was the, my, the favourite part of my life. Or something. Your favourite thing in your life. In my life. <laughs> the yeah. truth will out. Yeah, we've got Jerry Anderson news and news, 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 because as we know, there's always something new happening in the Jerry Anderson mm-hmm. universe. Uh, we've got the second part of our interview with a fantastic Nigel Planer, who mm. I'm delighted to say joined us around this very table last week to tell us about his uh, first Anderson memories, this week uh, to tell us about his favourite Anderson characters. And of course, as it's Nigel Planer, there's a bit of a twist to that. Oh, and we'll also wait. be revisiting a children's uh, animated series that he voiced uh, with special reference to Thunderbirds. Oh. Oh, you tease. I do like to tease. So that's coming up a little later on. Okay. Uh, we've got Chris Dale's um, a randomizer, and I mean, perhaps more important than all of that put together. If you were to add all that together yes. into some sort of sum of its parts, and let's say that was represented by, oh, I don't know, an igloo, <laughs> Why then, an igloo? then actually next to it, in terms of scale of importance, is a whopping old glacier. So we've got the ice metaphor going on, and that glacier is our podstrons. Because Brilliant. they are our backbone. They right. Are, we're, what we do, we do for them. And to thank us, they've been emailing yes. us at podcast.jerryanson.com and we'll be reading out some of the... What I meant to say is we'll be reading out some emails from some listeners. Brilliant. Yeah, I think we should have just start with that. I, I just like, went on a sort of roundabout... The you know, icy, yeah. spiny yeah. metaphor stuff. That's right. But, you know, hey, Very good. Thanks. 
bit squeaky. Well, I can't wait. I'm so excited <laughs> oh, about the the glacial monster uh, yeah. arms <laughs> and the yeah. messages. Yeah, absolutely. You see, it works. Yeah, it's a good image. Okay, well, sh- shall we um, try and cool rest- things down? Restore some normality, uh, not cool things down. Okay. Oh, uh, right. Yes, mm. um, with yes. The favourite thing in your entire life. Yes. Mine too. I'm going to regret saying that. Fab facts. Yeah, go on then. Snowflake. <laughs> now, time for this week's Fab Facts. It's Fab Facts. I know. The favourite thing in your life. I stopped saying that. I said it once, I regret it already. I think you should get a tattoo. Uh, you mean another tattoo? Another tattoo, yes, to match the Jamie Anderson one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Maya one on your thigh, I was thinking, oh, but right. uh, yeah, he's wearing trousers today, so we can't see it. Anyway, I've got a book of Fab Facts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and inside of the book of Fab Facts, well, there's some Fab Facts. And I'm going to flick through the book of Fab Facts. At a random point, Richard James will shout Fab, mm-hmm. that'll stop me flicking. Mm-hmm. I'll try and do it accurately today because I have a bit of a slippery thumb. You had a bit sometimes. of an overshoot, didn't you? Mm, sorry. Uh, and then hopefully there'll be a fact on that page and I'll read it out. Are you hopefully. ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Here comes the flick. All right. Fab! <laughs> what? Oh, what? <laughs> Just a minute. So I've gone back to it. I've gone back to it. I've flipped jiggery pokery going on There was on here. no pokery or jiggery. It's fine. Mm. Richard. Yes. There have been many great TV detectives over the years. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. Thought that's it. Uh, that's it. That's the end of our facts. <laughs> no, uh, no. Okay. Uh, we've had Sherlock Holmes. Oh yes. We've had Miss Marple. Yes. We've had. Columbo. <laughs> What's that? That's my Columbo impression. Just one more thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. We've had Dick Spanner. Let's see the impression. Of Dick Spanner? Yes. No. Uh, well, you could do Columbo. And of course, we've had the most famous of all. Yes. Martin Kane. Martin Kane. Martin Kane. Okay. Yeah? Mm. Martin Kane. Yeah. Famous detective. Yes. No. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to introduce you to him today because today's Fab Facts brings us to the world of Martin Kane, private investigator. Right. Or Martin Kane, private detective. Or even Martin Kane, private eye. Right. Which was the title of the 1949 American radio series in which the character got his start. Oh, sorry, this is the Jerry Anderson podcast. I don't know if you're aware of that. Just bear with me. Okay. I, I mean, I know the connection here, so well, I'm oh. sure some people are going to learn some things here. Uh, the first radio episode aired less than one month before the character first appeared on NBC in a live television series. Mm. And so from 1949 to 1954, fans of Martin Kane had a plethora of adventures to enjoy mm-hmm. with the character and his associates p- performed by various actors over the years. Right. Okay? Right, okay, yes. What does this have to do with the Anderson universe? I can hear you asking, literally. (laughs) I'm sure you can hear me asking that. Yes. Well, as it turns out, quite a bit. Well, that's a relief. So, uh, in 1957, the series was resurrected for television once again, this time as a film series for ABC television produced in the UK. Right. Starring William Gargan. Right. Yes. Okay. Who was the original TV and radio Martin Kane from 1949. Produced by Harry Allen Towers... The series also featured an episode directed by Jerry Anderson. Oh! Uh, actually, one and a half episodes since he was later brought back uncredited to finish off another episode when the original director had collapsed from nervous exhaustion. <laughs> Cheery story. <laughs> I try not to say it with quite such a little bounce in your well, voice. I was trying to make it oh, a little I bit brighter. Keep it light, yeah. Uh, Dad's full episode was titled The Film Studio Story and first aired in the UK on the 13th of April. 1958, the day before his birthday. Right. Uh, Dad was given the script with only one day's notice. 
Wow. Uh, he had just a day and a half to film the episode's interior scenes mm -hmm. and a whole day to shoot the location footage. That's generous, isn't it? Yes. Uh, which perhaps gives you some idea of the quality of the final production. Or oh, harsh, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, after getting to the studio, Dad set to work filming the guest actress in that particular episode, only to soon discover that she was meant to be working with a different unit filming a different episode altogether. <laughs> okay, fine. Great start. But apart from that, all went well. Everything was smooth, yeah. Once the studio shooting was done, it was time for a location shoot, and the exciting climax of the episode involved a young man running around on some scaffolding that Dad remembered as being about 120 foot high. That seems quite high. <laughs> Interesting memory. Yes. <laughs> um, as dangerous as that sounds, the location filming also went without a hitch, mm. and it wasn't until the end of the day that Dad finally admitted to this young actor that he had a problem with vertigo. <laughs> Whoops. So shooting at such a height had actually been quite difficult for him. Oh, bless. Dad hated being at heights. Yeah, really did. So, yeah, oh. it's amazing. Uh, much to his surprise, this actor, too, was a fellow vertigo sufferer right. and had also had to muster all the courage in order to get through the shoot. The actor's name? Uh, go on. David Graham. Is it? Yes. yes. Oh. This is how they met. I see. So that's right. The legendary voice artist who brought us Parker, Brains, Dr. Beaker, Mathematic, and many others first met Dad while filming an episode of Martin Kane, Upper Scaffold. Uh, and so it's thanks to that meeting that Dad remembered him when it came time to cast roles in Four for the Falls. Oh. Had they not been first brought together on Martin Kane, the Anderson universe might have sounded a lot different than it did. Yes. Because let's face it, it's pretty much impossible to imagine Thunderbirds and Stingray and XL5 and so on without the voice of David Graham. Yes. And David's place in those shows came about thanks to the thrilling exploits yeah. of Martin Kane, private eye detective investigator bloke. Right. To give him his full title. Yes. I see. Is that how he introduces himself at parties? <laughs> oh, Very catchy, isn't it? Interesting. So actually, it wasn't that particular show that brought the two people together. It was their shared fear of heights. Well, it was the show and the, and the fear well, of heights. Well, that's what got them talking and that's what, you know, yeah. sparked some sort of relationship, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Gosh. So it's quite interesting that, you know, it's a, a sort of you know, an issue that one might have. Um, might lead to better things. Yeah, a, mm. a strange bond over a strange problem. Mm, it's because I've got a fear of um, presenting podcasts. I don't even really? know about that. Yeah, you too. Strange. <gasps> Me too. Yeah, really. Yeah. Ah. Suddenly, it makes sense. Now, it all it? makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, do you know? I quite like that. It was a little sort of you know meandering. Meandering is the word I was about to use. Many fab facts. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I like it. Great. There you go. Mm. Well, uh, that lovely union of creative spirits brings us to the end of this week's Meandering oh, Fact. No. Yeah, why did you just give up? Because I was going to say Martin Martin Fact or Kane Fact. Why didn't you say that then? I, I don't know. You I could have said Vertigo Fact. You could have mm. said Height Scaffolding Fact. Yeah. Although that's an entirely different podcast, I would think. <laughs> Imagine there's a podcast somewhere where someone is right now saying, and now it's time for Scaffolding Facts. <laughs> Maybe we should introduce it. Scaffolding Facts. Yeah. I bet there's enough... I mean, certainly we use scaffolding in space precincts, so we can yeah, talk yeah. about that. There's a Matt Zimmerman story about scaffolding. I reckon we've got a whole new there's item There's this David Graham one, obviously. Oh. Podstrons, if you know of any scaffolding facts from the Jerry Anderson universe, email us, podcast.jerryanderson.com, with the subject line, <laughs> scaffolding, scaffolding fact. fact. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got a whole new item, and I can make a little opening credit sequence for oh, it. And can't wait. Brilliant. This is very exciting. Uh, talking of exciting, yes. I think it's time for some exciting news from the Jerry Anderson universe. Oh, I thought you were going to say the voice of the Podstrong. We'll oh, have to wait for that, won't we? We will. Hold your breath. Okay. But in the meantime, yes. here's some Jerry Anderson news. Go on then. With me in the studio. Hello. 
Hello there, Podserons. This is Jamie Anderson with another exciting update from Anderson Entertainment. We have a packed week yet again, so without further ado, let's dive in. First and foremost, I'm pleased to announce that Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted, The Lost Worlds of Jerry Anderson, and Stand By for Action, Jerry Anderson in Concert, are all back in stock on DVD or Blu-ray. After the very sad demise of Network, some of these titles haven't been available since last year, so we're thrilled to bring them to you once again. Are you a TikTok user? Specifically, are you a TikTok user in the UK? If so, there's an exciting opportunity to save six whole pounds and get free shipping on your purchase from our store. Simply head over to TikTok, find Jerry Anderson TV, and TikTok will provide you with vouchers. It's the same quality merchandise, but with money off. So what's not to love? This Wednesday, the 9th of August, is National Book Lovers Day. To celebrate, we're offering 35% off our fiction books and 20% off our non-fiction books. But remember, this offer is only valid for Wednesday, so don't miss out. Just a quick reminder that Space Patrol arrives on Blu-ray in just 14 days' time, and the original soundtrack of Jerry Anderson A Life Uncharted on CD starts shipping exclusively from the Jerry Anderson store next week, so get your pre-order in now. Over on our YouTube channel, you'll find some truly exceptional footage oh dear, that was bad, uh, of Dad and David Graham talking about the voice of Parker and where it came from. Even if you know the story, it's one of the most told ones in the history of Thunderbirds after all, you may not have heard it told like this before. It's just so fantastic to hear from Dad and David in this way, so enjoy it. It's truly FAB. Finally, I'm thrilled to announce that finally our new international shipping offers will begin later this week. With prices starting from just £7, that's about $9, and even some brand new free shipping tiers, now is the perfect opportunity to grab those Anderson goodies that you've had your eye on. Stand by for an email from us when new shipping starts in your country. Well, that's all for this week, folks. From all of us here at Anderson Entertainment and the Jerry Anderson Podcast, thanks for tuning in. I'm Jamie Anderson, wishing you a fantastic week ahead. Stand by for action. Now back to Richard and Jamie in the studio. That was the news. That was the news. Who was I being? <laughs> Columbo. Yes. You see, that's the way to do a Columbo impression. Oh. Just one more thing, madam. Well, that was the, that was that. Was that. The waggy finger. I was giving the just one I more thing, waggy, waggy finger. Don't remember the waggy finger. He did that. He had a cigar. He'd walk along. And a he'd, Mac. He'd, he'd do his line of questioning, yeah. and then he'd walk away, mm. and then he'd spin on his toe, mm. and then just to just do the one more, just one spin more on thing. His toe. He would. That was Jerry Anderson news. Are you ever oh, worried when you sorry. do that that you're not going to have enough to say? No. Oh. Because as you have regularly said over yeah. several hundred podcasts, yes. I can't remember what it is. There's brand new Jerry Anderson <laughs> stuff happening right now. Is that what you say? Uh, I used to say it. I haven't said it for a while. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, do you remember before the news, we were talking about exciting things, and I used the news as an example of one of those exciting things. There's yes. another example of something that's exciting. Yes. Our Podstrons who have been in touch. They're thrilling. They don't just sit around and listen to the podcast, you know. They get in touch via their email client. Oh, no. They type in our address, maybe a subject in the subject uh, header thing. Like and scaffolding then in, fact. And yeah. in the main body of the email, they put their message, mm. sign it very often at the bottom of their name. And uh, that leads to me receiving that email. Right. And reading out said email on the podcast. And we call it the voice of the Podstrons. Oh. Ooh. This is the voice of the Podstrons. 
feels like a very roundabout way to get your message out to the to the world. What? To write it to us, yes. send it in, what, you read it out. What other choice would they have? How else would they do it? I don't know. It's a way for our podstrons to tell the world, I listen to the podcast and I've got something to say about it. Fine. Well, what have they got to say about it? Well, let's have a look. Uh, Tabitha Hoop, for example. Again? I know she's got in touch. It's quite a long one. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. You know that we you wanted earlier? <laughs> Take it now. <laughs> okay. Want. Greetings, Jamie, Richard and Chris. I hope you and the team are all well. Well, we are. I'm all right. Yeah, much, much better recovered, fine. thanks. Good. Uh, today, I have for you a follow-up and a few questions. I'm afraid it's a, another hefty clunker. Oh, no, chonker of an email. Ooh. It's a chonker. Yeah. Uh, so I apologise, and I hope you're sitting comfortably. In my previous email, I had started watching Space Precinct, and things were looking positive. Were... Thank you for answering my questions. To clarify, Jamie, it was pod 249 where you prompted us to boost Richard's ego after that terrible event. I found it hilarious because it was the podcast directly after you said you would shoot yourself in the foot by asking us to email in about silly things. Any of this ringing any bells? I'm always shooting myself in the foot, so... Anyway, I finished Space Precinct a while ago, says Tabitha, and I fair enjoyed it. I Mm. love the alien prosthetics, they're Mm. so cool, and I'd love to hear more about how they were conceptualised and created, if such information exists. I think it does. Yeah. Uh, Cue manic chanting of Space Precinct Vault, please. Come on. Can't hear I'm listening out for it. Okay. Uh, the alien actors did incredibly well to bring those characters to life as it looked uh, neither easy nor comfortable. I'm telling you, it was neither of those things. No. Uh, the show isn't perfect. Is anything, though? No, of course not. That's right. But I had fun watching it, and that's what counts to me. So, uh, so far, it's my second favourite uh, Deja Vu, Dicky, and a show behind Stingray. I think Tabitha might be referring to the fact that Space Precinct is often people's second favourite. Oh, Usually thing. after Space 1999. Mm. That seems to be the thing. Um, I'll post a more detailed review on Facebook in case this email never sees the light of day. I mean, you sent it, I'm reading it out. That's how it works. What more can you ask yeah. for? Also, poor Richard has already heard my opinion in person. On the off chance it rings a bell, I was Brit Sci-Fi's Safari, Captain Blue and Omega. I remember Ah. Tabitha, of course I do. In terms of the titular ego, you haven't heard the last of me yet as I have some truly terrible news regarding Space Precinct's number two monster. Okay. Leave it. Uh, The series had many cool villains, but Predator and Prey's Enil Kamada does stand out as one of my favourites. Yes, Mm. recently voted second favourite villain by Chris Dale. Not that recent. Uh, It just walks with purpose towards its victim, possessing a silent menace reminiscent of my cats when a tin of tuna is open. That's exactly what I was going for. That was your method, wasn't it? So I'm glad that transmitted its way into the camera. I love it, says Tabitha. Uh, That is bad news, but the terrible news is yet to come. I can't believe I'm being fully serious in what I'm about to say, but it is this episode which makes me almost happy I never saw Space Precinct (laughs) as a child. Oh. Okay. Um, A small game for you. I know it's weirdly specific, but stick with me, says Tabitha. Imagine as a small child, you were terrified of the extractor fan in your parents' ensuite bathroom. Just imagine. No, stay with me. This is getting very, very specific. Then imagine watching the telly and not once but twice seeing some nasty bloke in lycra waltz out of Brogan's ensuite, hell-bent on eating Sally's soul. That's exactly what I did. Right. Yeah. Finally, combine that with a major plot point at the end of the episode, and what do you get? I don't quite know how the production team managed to craft my incredibly niche worst possible childhood nightmare, the bathroom fan demon, ten years before I was born. But fair play, Richard, you've actually traumatised me as a child, and I reckon you do deserve the title of Space Precinct's best monster. Wow. You see? How's that? Moving um, swiftly onwards, thankfully. 
Here are my questions, says Tabitha, <laughs> while she's got us. Jamie, you mentioned in your foreword to Space Precinct Unmasked mm. uh, that you loved watching Space, the Space Police pilot. Did you love Space Precinct as much? Were you put off the series after meeting an aggressively British Orin on set? Who can she mean? Uh, yes. I did love, I love, I love Space Precinct. It's just that a Space Police was around for longer, so I watched it lots and lots of times. Right. Yes, um, and it was a one-off, so it's easy to consume in its entirety. Yes, uh, but no, of course I wasn't put off. I was slightly frightened by, as you still are. Yes, I can tell in your eyes. Even <laughs> sitting here, you're trying to look relaxed. You're terrified. Uh, she's got a question for Chris, who can't answer this because he's actually not with us at the moment. He'll be along later for the randomizer. Chris, it was lovely to see that you were always surrounded by a pod of podstrons at Brit Sci-Fi. He was. Uh, I loved your shirt. This segment is indeed the voice of the Podstrons. Mm. Ah, yes, he had the shirt, the voice of the Podstrons. But I never got a chance to ask, how did you end up as the Randomeister General himself? Well, he was commissioned by us, wasn't he? There you go. Yeah. P pretty easy to answer, really. <laughs> Thanks in advance and good luck surviving Dickie's ego. SIR, apparently, as I still can't write a short email. And that's from Tabitha. Who? Apparently not. Gosh. But, you know, there we go. Well, that's I think all we've we'll got just time wrap for. Up and, yeah, that's it. Uh, after show bants and we're done. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah done. brilliant. There you go. Thanks, Tabitha. Woo. Uh, well, I've got a mercifully short one Great. Uh, from Paul Hyder in China. Oh, yes. He says, yep. here's a name for how you're producing the video podcast. Oh, yes. How about slow-mo vision? Right. Not for slow motion, no. but for slow moxie vision. Should I then call it slow-mo Slow-mo. Um, mm. And of course, it's got the space producing connection. Of course. What do you think? I like Paul? it. I like it. Slow mo vision. I like it. Mm. You're not convinced. Um, no, I like the idea, Paul. But <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Hello, Jamie, Richard, Chris, and fellow Podstrons. Uh, this is Jonathan Westall. Having now watched Pod Two Six Four, I have to say that it was absolutely brilliant from start to finish. That's our first video pod wow. last month. Um, uh, I love the new visuals for the opening title sequence. Absolutely. F A B. Yes. I'll be looking forward to watching it every week after I get home from work. Question for you this week is. Will we be getting another TV21 audio annual this year? I really enjoyed last year's and would love to hear more. Keep up the great work that you do and thank you for continuing to bring us Podstron's joyous entertainment every week. F-A-B-S-I-G-P-W-O-R 1010, Jordan the Whistle. P.S. Oh, P.S. as well. It was absolutely wonderful to meet you and some of the lovely Podstron's in person at Brit Sci-Fi Nestor a few weeks ago and to get my voice on the podcast. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Jonathan, thank you for coming. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes. We enjoyed meeting you too. We did. Uh, as for an audio annual, yeah. I, I haven't actually thought about this yet, which I probably should do because it's, it's an annual. It's, so it's, you'd think it's... Yeah, regular, when, yeah, frequent, yeah. On, right. on an annual basis. You'd think so. Uh, yes, we've just been so busy. Right. Um, maybe. Oh, is that, maybe. that's as committed to you as you're going that's, to get. That's, that's my maximum level of commitment today. Sorry. Fair enough. All right. Uh, that's it for now, but do keep your emails coming in. It's so easy. Podcast at jerryanderson.com. Just let your fingers do the talking and email us. That was an ad campaign, I think. <laughs> Brilliant. There you go. You could use it. Gosh, we're going to get so many emails now just off the back of that. Would you like to have the second part of an interview with a rather special guest? The first part of which was last week. Do I have a choice? No! <laughs> then yes, please, Richard. I'd love nothing more than a second part of an interview that was previously featured last week with the first part of the interview with the same guest. Actor, comedian, author, playwright and podcaster. These are just a few of the strings to his bow. But he's so much more than that. Last week he shared his first Anderson memories of Four Feather Falls. But what else does he keep under his sheriff's hat? It's Nigel Planer! 
Hello. Nigel, welcome back. It's nice to see you Thank again. Thank you. I I've, made it. I've changed my shirt. You're I wearing noticed. the same as... I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, and I ha haven't even washed it. <laughs> you haven't even washed it. No. Uh, last time we spoke about your first Anderson memories, going back to Four Feather Falls in particular. Yeah, that's uh, right. Also, uh, latent memories of, of uh, Twizzle, I think we... Uh, Twizzle we uncovered. Right, that yeah. was strange. That's been buried there, uh, um, you know, for 60 years. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so last time we painted a picture of young Nigel Planer gathered around his TV yeah. uh, to watch Four Feather Falls. Do you think back often as a person? Is it in your nature to be nostalgic? Yeah, I think it is actually, yeah. yes. Do you regret? Um, do, you, do you replay things that happened? I, I used to do that. Okay. There's one or two that everyone's got and they, yeah. that you think, oh, that was yeah. a bad thing to do. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, I, I was blessed in that I had a pretty pretty nice childhood. I didn't think so at the time, but right. looking back, you think, cool, that was oh. better than an awful lot I've seen since then. Yeah, sure. And in a nice suburb. And so I, I do look back and, you know, hearing bird, bird song, trees, the London, outer, outer London, mm -hmm. trees, bird song, and even the sound of... Um, aeroplanes in the distance going across <laughs> right. will send you back, right? Because that's what I must have heard in my pram. Yes, it's like yes, as, it, as it disappears. Yeah, amazing. And wet when the pavement's wet, the tyres that yeah. sound, <laughs> which is peculiar to London. Absolutely, yeah. Those sort of things wow. really can trigger stuff off. Yeah. smells. Yeah, sounds. Yeah, that, that sort of stuff is. And what about TV in particular? Because a lot of Jerry Anderson fans find kind of a nostalgic solace in watching programmes that they grew up with. Is there anything like that? Yeah. Or literature, perhaps, that you um, go back to again and again? I, I wouldn't go and watch telly programmes. Yeah, from, you wouldn't from go and watch then. Twizzle again. I certainly wouldn't go and watch Twizzle <laughs> or Torchy <laughs> or, or, yeah. or any of them, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than to see what they really look like, because mm. it can be different from your memory. Mm. Um, but yeah, literature-wise, I've got I've, I have hung on to two books. One's a Russian fairy story that I remember must have been read. Where there's a mitten and there's one animal gets into it, then the next page. Is there room in your mitten? Yes, there is, and another, and the, and it gets ridiculous. <laughs> okay. the, the, yeah, it gets full. And the other one's called Teddy Bear Coal Man. Oh, right. Which. My I can remember my grand reading to me, yeah. and it's just like Postman Pat. Yeah. It's a teddy bear who's a cold man, and he goes around the village yeah. and delivers to every single person. It's quite boring, <laughs> but that really sort of, it's taped up. It's right. sellotaped up, but yes. I've still got that. And brings you a certain comfort when you need it yeah, somehow. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's funny, good. Teddy it? bear cold man does yeah. the trick. Uh, so we spoke, uh, you know, about your early years last time. Let's move on until I suppose you um, became um, part of the public sort of sphere. Uh, I'm talking uh, Comic Strip Presents in the 80s and the young ones, of course. Yeah. Comic Strip Presents uh, was, uh, well, I think it was started on stage, as it were. Is that right? Or, or Yes, we were. Uh, we, we started, the we all met at the comedy store. Yeah. Um, and then absconded. Yeah. as a group, and formed our own club, The Comic Strip. Right. Um, because you worked primarily with Peter Richardson. Peter right? Richardson, who is the producer of The Comic Strip, and um, he's the one of the group who wasn't in The Young Ones, Yeah, but he's kind of the 
we were two double acts, myself and Peter and and Rick and Aid mm. were double acts. Alexi Sale was the compere. Mm. Um, and I'd been working with Peter since 1970, gosh knows. I mean, early 70s. Yeah. Uh, we met. And he, again, was, uh, as we were talking last time about certain pivotal people, yeah. you meet somebody at that point. We met actually at Glastonbury Festival. Mm. I think it was the first or the second time, which wasn't like Glastonbury now. Yeah. It was pretty rough and ready. Yeah. And um, he was living in a van, parked up one end of, the, of Glastonbury. And there was a lot of sort of dumb dumb hippies around and it was good because we were both dumb hippies but it was great to meet someone who he'd been to drama school he knew he knew who Ibsen was right uh, but he also knew who Frank Zappa was right so you cling on to the people in those days you yeah. think all oh, right no this this is somebody yeah. who knows the stuff I, I I'm interested in yeah. you know who knows the same as me so we started working together we made a show called rank out of which came the character Neil. Okay, right. Um, and and several of the characters who later appeared in the comic strip. Mm. And then I sort of dared him to go down the comedy store. Mm. We started a double act. We wrote a double act called The Outer Limits and mm. we met all the other guys, which was a, another pivotal moment to yeah. meet all the other guys. Yeah. And then, yeah, we had a, 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 a live show at the comic strip, which then out of which came Young Ones and uh -huh. and the comic strip series. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people came to see us then. In those yeah. Days. So you found yourself then in a lineage from, you know, of sort of anarchic humour from uh, the likes of, you know, Monty Python and um, oh, the, the, the Beyond the Fringe and so on, uh, but also a particular double act that also forms part of your favourite Anderson characters. Which we're going to take a look at. Oh, good, yes. Now, have a look at this. Looking forward to this. Telephone for you, milady. Yes, milady. Why do you speak in that ridiculous accent? Speaks, milady. Doodle pip watcher, call blimey. It's good for the tourist trade, milady. Speaking of the tourist trade. Yes. <laughs> oh, I see. I've just discovered where Master Braun plans to strike next. Where, milady? Anne Hathaway's cottage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we are. Pete yeah. and Dard, of course. The inimitable Peter yeah. Cook Dudley Moore. Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Super Thunder Stinkar, that was, from 1965. Super Thunder Stinkar. That's it. From when? 1965. Five. Yeah, that's right. Now, you 65, see, so I would have been 12. Mm -hmm when that came mm -hmm. out and uh, the, I can remember I did remember when I knew I was coming on this asked what do you remember yeah. favorite yeah. characters all of that yeah. 
the moment when Dudley Moore sits back down on the <laughs> on the hammock and kicks the thing, that <laughs> must have made me yeah as a as a twelve year old must I would have yeah sick through my nose because I'm guessing you would yeah. have been familiar with Thunderbirds at that point of course yeah and, and watched it so this would chime yeah. with you immediately absolutely brilliant what's interesting watching that is that you know I would see I show like the young ones. In the same way that you're looking at that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how does that make you feel? That uh, you know that I, from my point of view, you're absolutely part of that comedy thread that runs through our culture. That's right. Um, I think there's a comedy thread that goes back a long way, yeah. like a lot longer than people realise. Yeah. There's a scene in Aristophanes. Uh -huh. So we're talking two thousand years ago. Yeah. Two guys have uh, have decided to go down, a master and his servant, decided to go down to hell to sort out whether comedy is better than tragedy and they're going to go and meet the writers. And they're going down to hell where obviously all writers are. And they're on the way there and the, and the master's saying, go on, carry my bags. And the servant's I can't, I can't carry them anymore. They're too heavy. When a couple of pallbearers go past carrying a body on yeah. its way to hell. Yeah. And they say to the pallbearers, look, you're carrying that. Could you carry the bags, you know, for us? Yeah. And um, the body sits up and says, yeah, that would be 20 quid, please. <laughs> and they say, 20 quid? You're joking. That's ridiculous, you know. He says, all right, I'll do it for a fiver. And they put the bags on and he goes down. Now, that's written 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. we're talking... That could be a scene from the young ones. Yes, absolutely. Good. And yes. so I do think you're right. There's a there's a thread that goes. If it's funny like that, it, it's it's been going. You know, this idea that we're the alternative comedians ah. who changed it forever. Uh -huh. I'm not so sure we did. Right. I think it's. I'm, I'm more a believer in this. Uh, you know, the long game, as it were. The yeah. long game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it still makes you laugh when you when you read that scene. Yeah. In translation from 2,000 years ago, you think, oh, that's funny. Yes, that's right. So, so what's, does that, what's going on? Uh, you know? The popular idea of shows, people call it the alternative comedy scene in the 80s, but, you know, the likes of Alexis Sale and uh, Young Ones and Comic Strip Presents and so on, the, uh, the popular idea is that they were kicking against something, the previous form of comedy that was being considered at that point to be stale or yeah. a bit too theatrical, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it did... It did uh, turn over a page, mm. but it's only a page in a long book is, yeah. is the way I'd see it. There was, it had got a bit stale. We were, the comic strip and the comedy store particularly, uh, the branding was non-sexist, non-racist yeah. humour is what we were yeah. supposedly doing um, because it had got a bit sexist and racist and it had got also a bit dull mm -hmm. and so you're right to point out we were more in the tradition of Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, mm. Monty Python mm. than we were in the tradition of the of the uh, the sitcom or the, or the northern comics who yeah. were doing the comedians was yeah. on telly yeah. um, but the difference between us and the, the the satire boom people was we weren't from Cambridge mm. We weren't mm -hmm. from Cambridge and Oxford. Yeah. And the, the uh, things like Have I Got News for You and all of that, that's why I know Paul Merton isn't from Cambridge. Yeah. But 
that kind of humour, not the nine o'clock news, yeah. was still very, um, uh, I'm cleverer than you yeah. okay. type of comedy. Yeah. You know, yeah. so let, let's just show how, how clever we, we're. We're all very, very clever because we've yeah. been to Cambridge. And the difference with us, we, we were different from them as well as from the sitcom. And I think the thing that, that, I'm, that I like about what we did is that we went and took clever, it was clever what we were doing, um, and we put it into a sitcom. So we did what the Cambridge comedians couldn't and didn't do. Yeah. It had more heart. The yeah. characters, people love the characters. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the, the, you know, Mel Smith, Griff Reese, Jones, um, people do love Ro uh, Rowan's Mr Bean. Yes. But on the whole, in the, not the nine o'clock news, you wouldn't say you just love the characters. No, absolutely. It's a satire. That's right. And and people ended up loving Dudley Moore, didn't they? But oh yes. When it was a satire, yeah, it's it's a slightly different thing. So we yeah. we we created a narrative using it. So it was. I mean, it was different in structure. It was different yeah. in form. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, came uh, bad news, uh, yeah. which uh, you played. Uh, they say played, you were, uh, Dan Dennis. I was, yes. Dan Dennis. <laughs> uh, lead guitarist, I think, for... No, no, rhythm, rhythm, rhythm guitarist. Adrian Edmondson's Vim uh -huh. Fuego would have been lead guitarist, lead vocalist. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you toured and made albums with Brian May, I think, Yes, we did, we did. Did this, I mean, there's a sort of a musical thread throughout your career, really. I know you've been yeah. releasing songs on, on Bandcamp as well recently. Yes, du during the lockdown. That's I, it. I, so did Dan Dennis kind of scratch an itch? To help you, we, did you then become the rock star you always wanted to be secretly? Well, for a while, um, no, <laughs> it's a short answer. <laughs> no, it's a short answer okay. because the with um, I know more, more sort of jazz chords, folk chords, and my singing is a bit too clean for bad news. Mm -hmm. And so, Adrian took the singing, I did the harmonies, the top harmonies, right. and I do the screeching noises, right. the. the, the Heavy metal screeching noises, but I'm I'm being Dan Dennis, as you say. Yeah. So I played the way he would play, yeah. and I, everything about it is being that role. Yeah. Whereas musically, it, it's Adrian's taste. He wrote the script. Right. Um, we wrote the songs together. Yeah. And I and I picked out old Velvet Underground riffs that I knew and changed them to make some of the songs or, you know, various riffs I might have known or yeah. blues things or whatever. Yeah. Um, there was one phrase nobody knows. I was just nicked completely from the band, actually, in one of the Bad News songs. I mean, not enough to be copyrighted. No, no, but, careful. you know, sort of inspired by that kind of music that I could play yeah. at the time. Yeah. And um, Adrian, I think, is more like the band Free or, you know, more sort of... Yeah. Uh, brassy than right. me. I'm, I'm more more uh, jazzy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. But it was it was it's quite good. And with Neil as well, I had a hit single to, yes. to sort of play it being a pop star. Yes. Without having to take the consequences. Uh, and then an album uh, produced by Dave Stewart, no less. I mean, so yes, these not were Dave Stewart, Stewart of the Arrhythmics. Oh. <laughs> Dave Stewart of Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin. Oh, Equally. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, who, right. who uh, sort of prog rock yeah. outfit yeah, right. uh, with some amazing musicians on that Neil album. Yeah. 
the, from the, car the caravan, from caravan, we had somebody from caravan, we had somebody from the Canterbury scene. We had quite a lot of, yeah. of you know, proper musos right. on my yeah. comedy album. Amazing. It was rather marvellous. Uh, just before we answer some more questions from our viewers and listeners, yeah. I just yeah. want to talk very quickly about a series that was one of my favourites growing up, and that's Shine on Harvey Moon. Ah, yeah. Uh, set in the 1950s, 1947. Harvey Moon is returning from the war. Yeah, he's brought a sort of clumsy mate of his with yeah. him, who's got actually got nowhere to stay. Yeah, who's Lou Lewis, which That's was it. my part. Um, and he goes back. His his wife is no longer very interested. It's been a long time. He's been away six years. Yeah. Um, and they haven't had a, a sort of heroic war. They've been working in a, in a storeroom in Mumbai yeah. um, for six years. Yeah. And he returns to, it, it's quite a heart-rending story because he returns to really to nothing. Mm. Um, An indifferent wife. I remember Maggie Steed, who really wasn't very interested in him when he returned. Absolutely indifferent. She's been consorting with American yeah. GIs. Yeah. His... Um, his daughter and his son, he, he, he's very keen to see his son and the subconscious at work again. I've got two sons who are called Stanley and Harvey. <laughs> there you go. And <laughs> Could have been both... Twizzle and Torchy, so that's exactly. It's got to be lightly. We're winning. <laughs> but I, both times I chose the names without remembering. It wasn't conscious. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the subconscious at work again. That's right. And as you say, set immediately after the Second World War. I know a bit before your time that, but was that a world you sort of recognised from your earlier uh, years? There was a lot I recognised. Yeah. You know, the woolen socks, the shorts, right. the, 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 <laughs> the sleeveless jerseys, the grey, the fact that it was so grey, yeah, and, yeah. and the, the scullery, the kitchen where Nan, played by... Liz Spriggs would be yeah. working away. It was all quite grim. Mm. And then as the series went on, we we got to 1953. Yes. Um, and I did, that was very recognisable yes, to me because I was born in 1953. Yeah. The little houses, um, and in fact, on the set, there was uh, an old phone directories. I don't know if you remember that, with the thin pages, mm -hmm. list of numbers. Yeah. For London. Right. So I went and looked up Planer. And there was my dad, my uncle. Really? Yeah. Wow. And the numbers I could remember. Ah, and my grand. There weren't the, it's not a common name. There yeah. weren't lots of them. Yeah. And there we were in 1953. Or you know. Did you take it? I wouldn't. I'm not it. going to own up to that. <laughs> But, uh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, just before we explore your career even further, Nigel, it's time yeah. to get your specs out, if you will. Oh, because, yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah, more, I need the specs. Uh, more questions have been sent in. These are generally from our Facebook group, which, of course, you can join if you're at home and on Facebook. Uh, just search for Podstrons or official uh, Jerry Anderson Podcast Listeners group, and uh, you can put your questions there for future guests. This one's from Michael Bontiff. Oh, yes. Uh, what is a character you'd like to play or production you would like to be part of? Every actor has a part they would love to play one day. Mm. Well, right. I can test that, Michael ah. Bontiff. <laughs> um, I don't think I do have a part that I would like to play one day. As, as I was saying earlier, the thing that I really like is making a character up 
that can then go through various media. That's yeah. that's really good fun. Right. Um, and the whole thing about uh, being offered a part is, as I say, when you make a connection with it, how can I be that person? And and the whole challenge is, what have I got to do to be that person? And I, I spend a lot of time, particularly on appearances, uh-huh. with my hairline changed, uh-huh. just how would I feel, what would I go back to? So it's a real old, um, like a methody thing to try and, and that's the challenge, that's the excitement, is how right. can I change myself or imagine okay. myself different? Yeah, yeah. And therefore, I, and I don't see it like, oh, Rich the Third, you know, yeah. something like that. Mm. I, I mean, occasionally I see things like, oh, I, I could do that. Yeah. I could do that part. I could yeah. see myself as that part. Yeah. But it's not something I'm thinking, oh, that's the part I, you know, that, 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 waiting I, for. Yeah, that I'm waiting for some part. <laughs> it, because it's, it's, you know, I suppose the only ones I'd be waiting for are ones like that I could create now. What have I been doing the last... Yeah. 20 years yeah. that would be the perfect character for. Gotcha. Let's have another question from the, uh, from the lunchbox. Yeah. But maybe I'm not a proper actor. You know. I mean, you said that, not me. No, yeah, yeah, so. maybe I'm a, uh, <laughs> you know, a cheat. <laughs> Aren't we all? Uh, did, uh, this is from John Jackson. Hello, John. Did you think when making The Young Ones that you were putting the nail in the coffin of the traditional sitcom and things would never be the same again. Mm-hmm. Also, I saw you live in Wicked and you were brilliant. Ah. I just thought I'd read that last Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't read that bit first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much, uh, uh, John. Well, I mean, we kind of talked about yeah. this a bit before. Yeah. Um, we were putting the nail in the coffin of certain things that we were rebelling against, yeah. no denying yeah. that. Um but to say that, but I don't agree that things would never be the same again. Right. I think, in fact, they're remarkably similar to <laughs> okay. how they were. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we were, we were, I mean, I know someone and her dad used to write a very famous sitcom. Um, and she was telling me that the, when the young ones came out, he came downstairs the next day, he said, You've got to watch this. He said, The game's up. Oh, yes. right. Yeah. Which wow. is pretty. Absolutely. And I, I huh. felt, you know, you feel terrible. You think, what, the game's up for this other guy who yes. wrote this, all this funny yes. material. That's yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more, and then we'll move on to another project of yours that has a slight Jerry Anderson association. Robert Monk said, asked, what inspired you to become an actor? Oh. Yeah, that's a difficult one to answer as well, mm. because it's a long time ago... <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah. I'm 70 years old and it's, you know, I can remember back to being eight and putting on shows yes. in, in, and and just thinking about nothing else. Yeah. Um, so it's very difficult to think, well, what, the, the, what, it just, I couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. So there wasn't um, a, a, a particular moment or a particular person. There wasn't a flash of light at any point. Not... Really, it just yeah. seemed like the most natural thing. Yeah. What we did at, at school, we did have a very wonderful uh, teacher yeah. who uh, called Lenny. We called him Lenny. Um, 
who read to us. In Engl if you had English with him, that'd be great. He'd read you, but way above your, way above your level. So yeah, he could yeah, read see. some Dickens when you were too young or yeah. like proper things. Yeah. And then he'd read a bit of it. Just when you were into it, he'd say, I'm not reading any more yeah, of that now. Right. To really get your interest. And Clever. he wrote the school plays and put them on. And he did truncated Shakespeare's for us, even we did, which were never that. This is like I'm talking 12, mm. like these uh, early on. Mm. But the thing he did was he had a puppet theatre. Right. Which they put at the, when the parents came to watch the school, Shakespeare, whatever it was, yeah. there was also a puppet show that he'd written, which was comedy. Yeah. And it was a fairy story to do. Comedy Cinderella or, nice. or whatever. Yeah. And we'd had the puppets. And me and my brothers had a collection of string puppets. Mm -hmm. So um, my elder brother had done the, the, the puppet show. And shamefully, I inherited it from him. So I had no other qualifications other than he was my brother, <laughs> Fine. which is terrible. Nepotism never hurts. Yes, terrible to admit. <laughs> um, and I was put in charge of the the puppet show, and you could do funny voices because it was required. Yeah. There was a the witch puppet, which I made the head for, yeah. as I remember, because we make puppets as well. Had a had a sort of total freak out, <laughs> going crazy, which got big laughs, <laughs> and um, it was it was very, puppets were very important. Yeah. We had string puppets, yeah, and if you if you wanted to treat, you'd. You know, at Christmas, you'd say, can I get a... It was Pelham Puppets. Pelham Puppets, famously, yeah. And then we had a few, but also we made some, mm -hmm. and Lenny would mm. have some. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a big deal. Right. And um, when uh, my mum and dad moved house, much later on, I was in some West End show, and she said, we've got to clear out. And some of these are going back to... It was a sailor who was a Pelham puppet going back to, I think it was the first, right. sort of really looked like a 1950s one. Yeah, yeah. But some of them were quite sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, they got quite, you know, through the 60s, they got better. Yeah. And I sold a load of them mm -hmm. to um, Pollock's Toy Museum okay. because I thought, we, can, we haven't got space for all this. And yeah, I'm not yeah. going to play with them. And they're so outdated now, the string puppets yeah. they get tangled so easily yeah and um so and there were two at the end and i saw a film don't know if you know it by richard e grant who uh and he wrote it and directed it yes it's about his childhood i know of it's it, yes. called wawa yeah. and he was uh, you know quite a difficult childhood in africa mm. and the one thing this kid has is nicholas holt who's now playing the emperor mm -hmm. in The Great, played Richard E. Grant. Um, and he has a, the one thing he's got in this sort of lonely childhood is these puppets, these string puppets. It's a very, very moving film. It's yeah. really upsetting yeah. film. Interesting. Um, and he's a kid. The only thing he's got is these string puppets. Yeah. And uh, I just thought this film was wonderful. Yeah. So I wrote to Richard and I, and I gave him 
two of our puppets. Right. He's probably gone, oh, no, not more not puppets. People keep sending me these puppets <laughs> yeah, just because I did that film. Yeah, just because I did the film <laughs> and he's right. probably, you know, probably sold them to Pollux himself now for all I know. <laughs> Great. But anyway, the, I found the film so moving yeah. that, and there were these puppets and, yeah. I, and, and they meant a lot to us and yeah. me and my brothers as well. Yeah. So, um, mm, interesting. so I gave a, a couple of them. I think I gave the sailor to him yeah. and one other. I can't remember exactly, but... Yeah. Uh, now, one other of your, of your projects I just want to touch on before we say goodbye uh, was something I think from the late 1980s, early 90s, uh, which, um, well, I was having a look at this earlier and there's one or two Jerry Anderson references in there as well. So ah, we'll yes. Just have a look at this. Oh, goody, someone must have heard me. I'd almost given up hope. You're in safe hands, madam. This is an international rescue operation. <laughs> F-A-B-O-K from Blunderbird 3, etc., said Dougal. La, 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 This requires some serious thought. Ooh, take it away, brains, said Brian. Well, Mr. Tracy, it's a long shot, but by securely attaching a vessel containing a projectile, we might just be able to reverse this irreversible situation irreversibly. You must be joking, said Brian. What, and miss the chance of being the hero of the day and drinking a toast with Lady Penelope, said Dougal. Well, in that case, thunder slugs I'll go, said Brian. There wow. you go. Yes. Now, we spoke about this earlier, Nigel. Yeah. And uh, you, when I initially got in touch with you to, about uh, coming to join us on the podcast, you said, well, I mean, I don't know a lot about Jerry Anderson, but <laughs> there we are. From, there we are, which you know, I wrote in the early 90s and right. did all the voices. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Now, so how did uh, Magic Roundabout come about? I think uh, originally it was, a, well, originally I think it was a French series uh, given right. to Eric Thompson in the 60s or 70s to that's revoice. Right. Um, apparently what he wrote may or may not uh, bear any resemblance to the original story. It bears no resemblance at all. What he he did was just put the sound down and play the images. The the original characters, I've seen it, uh, um, Dylan, for example, they're talking, (laughs) different actors playing them all. Um, Dougal is called Pollux. Um, they've all got different names. It's a different series. And so what, what was your starting point? Did you have to take that as your starting point or were you given free reign to reinvent it well, again? Eric Thompson uh, died, I can't remember when, but in the 80s, I mm. think, sadly. And they found a 100 or more episodes that were still uh, uh, Serge Dano's company owned um, that he hadn't done yet. And uh, Channel 4 bought them right and i did a little oh. sort of audition uh, uh, uh sample yeah i went in and i actually had to go in yeah. with my script they showed me they sent me a video yeah. this is before technology <laughs> and and um read it out loud to them to show them how i'd do it and they said well off you go and yeah i ended up writing over 100 episodes and voicing them and how long would he What from... a treat. Yes, eh? I'm sure. Because the characters Eric Thompson had created uh, are yeah. superlative. You know, they yeah. just, you can't get better. Yeah. And and they're crazy pictures. Yeah. You know, and so it was, it was fun. It was, it was quite hard. I think 
by the end, I got kind of what I call Dougal blind. <laughs> um, and, I, and I roped in my, my younger brother, Rog, to, to assist uh, with, with some of the scripts. He, yeah. he also wrote a few uh -huh. of these because it was, there was a lot. And how long did it take you to record each? Well, interesting because on the first day to get it right, because you're you're doing the narration and all the voices, and you're having to watch the screen. So in that extract we just yeah. saw, he goes, "Oh, you must be joking," said Brian. Yeah. But you've got to have that over the shot of him. Yes. You can't do it later or earlier. So it's, right. it's quite precise. So the first day, I think we recorded two or three episodes, maximum three, certainly yeah. two. Treading with care. Yeah. By the time we were up and running, you know, months and months later, the, my record was thirteen episodes in one day. Wow! To record, okay. which is if you you've ever done it. any voice work, yeah, that's pretty good. Extraordinary, yeah, yeah. amazing, yeah, wonderful, great. Uh, now, just before we say goodbye to you, Nigel. Um, we have a little game that we like to play with our guests. Oh, not another Yes, game. I'm sorry. It won't take long. Oh. This is called Cute, Mute oh, right. or Recruit. Cute, Mute, Recruit. That's it. Now, we're trying to uh, yeah. create our own international rescue team. Ah, okay? good. And so far, our guests have chosen Space 1999's Professor Birdman and uh, Stingray's Aquamarina as part of our little group, so ah. that's quite good. But our last guest, Lee Sullivan, chose these three characters from the Jerry Anderson universe. I want you to imagine that they've just followed you on Twitter or any social media app of your choice, and you have to choose which one you would like to mute, never hear from again, which one you think is cute, and which one you'd like to recruit for your international rescue. And recruit, they have to be useful. They have to be useful, yes. Your first character is Professor Popkiss from Supercar. Professor Popkiss, didn't he talk in the foreign accent? You got it, that's it. Yes. He's still up there, Nigel. Professor Popkiss. Cute, mute, or recruit? Well, but I don't know what the other two are. Mike Mercury, the pilot of Supercar. Yeah, pretty good too. Maya, the shape-shifting metamorph. Who would wow. you mute? Who would you recruit? Who is cute? Maya is very cute. She's cute. She's very cute. Right. But not part of our team. No. So who would you mute and who would you recruit out of Professor Popkiss Mike Mercury? And who have we got so far? We've got... We've got Professor Bergman from Space 1999. We've already got a professor. We have. Right. And we've got Aquamarina from Stingray. So although I really like this professor. Yes. And I can even do his voice. Yes, you can. I think I should mute him because we need... Ah, Mike pilot. Mercury. We, need, we haven't got a pilot yet. We're recruiting Mike Mercury. We're recruiting Mike Mercury. As part of our team. Thank yeah. you so much. Now, just before you go, just take three random cards for the next guest. We won't uh, disclose who they are, but we will rep uh, present those to uh, Roland Moore, who's joining us next time. Right, yeah. To see which he would like to mute, recruit, or is cute. So pass them to me. Don't recognise. <laughs> Don't recognise. Don't recognise. Don't recognise. Right. Good luck, Roland, <laughs> is all I can say. And just before we go, uh, tell us a few more words about where we can find Jeremiah Board in Time, your new book, just out over the last few weeks. Um, you can find it in, in, in all the normal places like Amazon, but I personally like hive.co.uk because that uh, distributes out via local bookshops, so yeah. you're not harming the, the local bookshop nice. trade, bookshop Very trade. Important. Great, excellent. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for coming to see us. It's been a pleasure to see you again, Nigel. Thank you for joining Absolute us. Absolute pleasure to, to come and find so much stuff that's in there that <laughs> maybe it'll be purged. That's now. it. That's yes. it. Like a cathartic experience, we hope. <laughs> Thank you so much. Nigel Plainer, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Did what, you enjoy that? What a nice man. Now you see that the um, the, the clip from uh, Magic Roundabout with all those Thunderbirds references. Most unexpected. And as he said, he'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to him before we uh, uh, filmed that uh, little interview and he was saying that uh, uh, he must have Obviously, he wrote that thing. He must have been picking up references all over the place about uh, Thunderbirds and so on. It's amazing how much it yes. soaks in. Exactly. And then when you need some creative output, you just ring, right. ring it out and it all comes together. Yeah. Okay, anyway. I don't think that's quite the um, Yeah, well, you know what I mean. Used. Can I also say yes. that uh, after the interview... Yes. After the interview, I had a chat with Nigel. Did you? Yeah. What, li literally because we just finished the interview? Yeah, no. So... Yeah, well, between the then, time he walked off and now... Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he said yeah. that the chat with you was much more fun than he was expecting. Yes. So that's nice, yes. isn't it? But he tends to start, I know Nigel a little, with very low expectations yes. in the hope that they'll be exceeded. Yeah, and they were. Oh, that's good, so isn't it? That's you great, exceeded yeah. disappointment. Excellent. So congratulations. Excellent. No, it's lovely to have him along. <laughs> Next week we have uh, Roland Moore, screenwriter, novelist. Ah, oh, lovely. Big Finish scribe for uh, uh, Space 1999. And, and Doctor Who and oh, uh, 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 Time Slip and many yes. other things. That's right, yes. Oh, great. Yeah. Now, if you have any ideas for uh, sort of generic questions for all future guests that we could ask every week yes. to try and, you know, gauge how active they are in the Jerry Anderson yeah. world or their knowledge of Jerry Anderson things, yeah. why not send it into podcast at jerryanderson.com and we could ask our guests that very same question every week. I like that. I was thinking something like, obviously not this, but you could send this in if you wanted to and it could be your thing, Postron. But Go on. Like, choose one project that you've been involved with yeah. that would have been made better had it been produced by Jerry Anderson, Ooh. you know what I mean? Like so, uh, so today Nigel could have said, "Oh, if, if Jerry had made the young ones, <laughs> that would have made it loads better." Well, he, <laughs> he could have he, said that. He wouldn't yes, have said I see that. What you mean. Yes, okay, yeah. that would be that would be the sort of thing that someone might send in yeah, on an email. Yeah, that sort of thing, not that, but not that not specifically. That. But what if they do send that in specifically? Then that's fine. Then we might pick it. Oh, right. Okay. No favoritism here. <laughs> Weird. Right. Um, now, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but there's quite a lot on the official Jerry Anderson YouTube channel that never people can it. watch. Never, never seen never it, seen... mate. No. You should go there. Not only is there the podcast and fab facts and all sorts of little snippets from yeah. the podcast, but also there are entire episodes of things. Really? There are um, uh, Beyond Anderson episodes about actors who worked on Jerry Anderson series and what they went on to do, mm -hmm. some of whom may have featured as guests or future guests on the podcast. Ooh. Um, there's also a series called Tech Talk, where the likes of um, uh, Commander Straker from mm -hmm. UFO take us through various uh, craft and machines from the Anderson world. Oh, that sounds worth a watch. Uh, all voiced, mostly voiced by, uh, oh, David Graham and John Colshaw, I think, have done yeah. a few. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's what all there. Voices. It's all there. But also, as well as just watching, you could actually comment beneath the ah, aforementioned videos. And that's right. what some people have been doing. That's my point. That's what I'm getting to. And gosh. that's what I'm going to read out now. It took quite a while to get yeah, to it did, point, yeah. So on pod 264, just a few weeks ago, our first video pod, Ian Dealey 9033 says, congratulations on getting this podcast on screen. Yes. Thanks. Yeah, it's a bit of a chore. Uh, I will still listen to the audio version, of course, because I'm a romantic like that. Oh, yeah. Is it romantic to listen to things rather than watch things? Uh, so, yeah. But it's great to see Anderson Entertainment make its long-awaited return to Slough, FAB. Yes, it is well FAB. Do you know what I really quite like about that message? Um, it's I, that the initial letter of every, every word is a capital. capital. Yeah. How did he do that without being, you know, taking a long time? Must have taken a long time over Yes. It. 
Thanks, but Ian. Much appreciated. Yeah. yeah. I've also noticed that recently YouTube has changed everybody's names to weird right. names with numbers on. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Uh, as an example, yes. um, Ken Norton 8746. That means there's 8,745 others, I guess. Yes. Well, uh, as the uh, 8,746th yes. Ken Norton, yes. uh, he's stated wonderful stuff. Oh, what's yeah. he talking about? I assume the same thing, pod, oh, uh, yes. pod 264. Okay. Uh, enjoyed every minute of it. Yep. Listened to the audio version this morning whilst out for a run. I was going to wait until later in the week to double dip with the video version. Oh, is that what we're calling it? Well, allegedly so. Uh, but I just couldn't wait and watched it this evening. Congratulations to all involved with the next evolution in your podcasting journey. Love the title sequence. Lots oh, of people said that. Yeah. Referencing a lot of Jerry's shows, and it was lovely to actually be able to see a classic Anderson show in the randomizer uh -huh. as it was commented on. Agreed. Uh -huh. yeah. If you need a description for the new style of podcast, oh, how yes. about filmed in Andervision? Andervision. Very nice. Uh, what about James Vision? I quite like that. Uh, Andervision's a bit one sided. It's the same ring to it, though, is it? It's a bit sort of. Mm. It's missing what? a syllable somehow. So. Okay. Anyway, it's just a thought. Yeah. Looking forward to next week's pod. Great. Excellent. Thanks, Ken yeah. Norton. 8,000 whatever it was double dipping there interesting <laughs> I've seen on our, our Facebook groups on some people have been watching us on rather large screens yes I've imagined people to be watching on their phones their iPads and so on but there are some people sitting down to watch us on TV yeah. that, that kind of size IMAX next <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could happen in 3D. Uh, now, uh, also, th th there's a video posted of our wonderful adventure in Leicester and Dusty's Day live, mm. the, uh, <laughs> the Lost Four Feather Falls episode. Uh, Steve Stuff, 1450. Um, he posted, that was marvellous. It was great fun to listen to a, uh, to a couple of weeks back, but to see it as well is such a treat. Sophie Aldred was just such a real sport to throw herself so far into this lost script she was. and to bring it to life like this. A big thanks to all involved, Jamie, Richard, Chris and Sophie. That was pretty bloody special. That's a great review. I pretty think that's bloody right. special. Yeah, like that's that. good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of pretty bloody special. Yes. It's time for the randomizer. Richard James. Oh, yes. This is about you. Is it? Yeah. Go on. Well, you know you keep writing uh, books. I just keep writing them, yeah. yeah this is about bashing them out. Five Star Five, The Battle for Castro. Oh, the last part in the trilogy. Yeah, and Scofair 5551. Yeah, what is that all about this week? I don't know. Strange. Says, I remember Jerry in the Daily Express around 1979 saying Five Star Five would be the greatest sci-fi movie ever. Ah. Uh, it was exciting. Yeah. And then it came to nothing. Until now. <laughs> yes, there you go. Thanks to Richard James. And then I read the book. Uh, no, no. I, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I think people are very, very happy. Yes, um, yes. Uh, Ian Dealey's back again. Right. Also commenting on the same video. Excellent. Ian Dealey, 9033. Obviously. Um, I just wish that Five Star Five was made as a feature film. The storyline story line sounds so epic. It was epic. It was. But you can read it. You can read the whole trilogy. Yeah. Thanks to Richard James. Yeah. Go buy the book. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, an, absolute, it's an actual trilogy. Yes. I mean, I think that's so exciting. It's very exciting. It's kind of what could have happened. Yeah. Lovely, isn't it? lovely covers, too. Oh, beautiful covers. And the words inside aren't so bad. They're all right. Now, we did speak a few weeks ago about in fact facts about some um, Easter eggs things you might find within Jerry Anderson's stories we did uh, particularly uh, characters watching other Jerry Anderson stories yes. in that particular universe that they inhabit yes. for example uh, Jake Gardner 476 Cool. Uh, says that there's an episode of Space Precinct where Liz and Matt are watching a cop show using footage from the original Space Police pilot and also when Brogan is watching a sports game one of the teams is called the Stingrays there you go oh, they're nice Easter eggs aren't they yeah good luck with this one Ryan, Stephen, Christopher Kearns, 1319. Very good. It's all joined up. Looks like one of them It's all joined up, yes. Yeah. Ryan says, mm. there was a cube from Terrorhawks right. in Dick Spanner. 
Captain Skull episode, The Launching, where you can see the Ocean Pioneer. The same episode that had music from Fireball XL5, Flying Zodiac. Right. Commander Zero and Mathematic from Fireball XL5, seen in the Stingray episode, Countdown. A prop from the first episode of Fireball XL5 was seen in Stingray. <laughs> and Thunderbirds as well. well Lifting well, Body well, 1 well, hanger was seen in Joe 90 episode, Most Special Astronaut. There you go. All of those things. Oh, crikey. It's that's quite the list. list. They never watch a series that's made after the series they're in, do they? That is most peculiar. I want to if see... If you can answer this conundrum, <laughs> Podstron, then please do email us, podcast at richardjames.com. Podcast at jerryanson.com would yeah. be even better. Uh, it's true, though, isn't it? I want to see, you know, Shane Rimmer as Brogan watching an episode of Space Precinct and the Space Police Pilot. Right, get your editing uh, yes. things on and yes, see what you can do for us. Editing things. Is that what it takes? What, those special gloves or editing, something? And you're editing gauntlets, <laughs> yes. Uh, all for now, but uh, do comment on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook group and email us at podcast.jerryanderson.com because we do love to hear from you, despite our initial reactions to some of your emails. We actually do like to hear from you. We love it. Yeah, we do. We, we literally read pretty much every single one out. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Except the rude ones. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. Speaking uh, of rude ones. Oh, yes. Chris. Oh, he's still here. I know, he's loitering awkwardly. <laughs> Poor Chris, we've kept him waiting. Should we let him... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is Nigel going to come press the button before he Of course he, goes? he is, yeah. Oh, amazing. Uh, okay. Actually, while he's doing that, I'm just going to go and have a little snoop around the corner and see what they're watching. Right? Okay. Yeah, fine. Okay. Over to you, Chris. Good luck. Nigel. Hello, hello. Hello again. Do you fancy having a look with this thing? Oh, uh, yeah. Because uh, 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 hopefully this time. Ago, and yeah. it, was, it was a bit of a... Uh, you, know, you were happy. Well, I was happy, you but you, I want to make you happy this time. Well, anything would make me happy after Torchy. So, how's about you give the button another press? Give the button a press. Here goes. we'll see what we come up with. It's pressed. It's pressed anything other than torture, please. Ah. Well, I think we've come up trumps today because this is not only an episode of a much better show, it's an episode of a show that our own Mr. Richard James not only starred in, but guest starred in in this episode. He's got two roles in one. Here we go with Space Precincts, Predator and Prey. Great. What more can we say? So he was a puppet all along? He's always been a puppet, yes. <laughs> yes. That's why we love him. Thought so. So, it's time to welcome back to The Randomizer. It's Space Precinct, with a, a rather interesting episode to talk about, I think, because you may or may not know Hi. that... Um, Hi, hello. Chris. Sorry, hello. I was... What are we, are we cutting here now? No, no, I was just outside. I, I'm sure I heard a familiar theme tune. Yes, you did. I thought well, I just... how did you? What, you, you just... Yeah. Well, I thought I'd just, pop in. You and... just happened to be in the area, did you? You happened yeah, to be just over there, did you? Yeah, I thought I'd just. You just come in, just totally random. It's predator and prey. And this involves you, how? Well, I of course not only played famously Officer Orin, but also Enil Kamada, one of the mechy race. I see you've kept that quiet. In this episode, you mean? Yes. This very episode. Oh dear. And these wonderful extras. We start with. Uh, what is this the taunt? This is the taunt because it's there on the wall, isn't it? Yes. So many wonderful extras, so many wonderful hairdos as well. Now this was Pam Meager, I think, who was the uh, head of makeup, came up with the wonderful idea of using potato prints. Right. On people's faces. This is, that's interesting then, because I, I, there's a lot of prints on, on people's faces, yes. It's something that always struck me as quite unusual. Also the, what is that guy wearing in the background? Was he naked except for like a... <laughs> Like an ostrich feather or something. What was that? Now, there's a shot coming up that makes no sense at all. Would you like me to point it out? Yes, please. It's of me as Enoch Kamada, not there, which is quite a striking shot. Mm. 
where I just seem to be staring into the middle distance for no apparent reason. Okay, yeah, there's that, oh, there's the, oh dear, the 90s. <laughs> the future as portrayed by the 90s. Ah. Clearly got my eye on her. Yes. This lady in the, the taunt club has caught the eye of Mr. Bald Man in Black Cloak. He's letting himself into the back room. Access all areas. Of course, yes. Very important. And we're coming up on what I feel is still rather an atmospheric and, and, and creepy scene here. Due in no small part to your, your presence, of course. Kind of you to say so. Freeze! Hold it right there. I said freeze! Now put your hands up where I can see them. It's even so many years later, it's still it's still so creepy and so sinister. <laughs> so I'd love to know the process by which you were offered this role. Was it just, it came up in the script and like, oh, Richard is perfect for that. Or did you sort of ask, is there anything else I can be doing? I know you'd previously done a couple of other creons along the way. Had they come beforehand? I can't remember. Yes. Right. Yes. So I think by now I'd obviously built up, rather like David Quilter, a bit of a reputation for having a go at anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, yeah, this came up, directed by Sidney Hayes. And uh, it was offered to me, so I didn't go scouting for it. Brilliant. Um, but I think I was just approached one day and told that there was a rather nice part in the next script and would I like to do it? And as there was no dialogue involved, I said, yes, I'd love to do yes. it. No lines to learn. And no redubbing, crucially. <laughs> That's right. Oh. So this poor young lady has come to an unfortunate end. Oh. And this guy, this is Rolf Saxon, isn't it? Yeah, lovely yes. Rolf Saxon. Yeah. Who at the time I... The only thing I had seen him in when this was first aired, he was in a pizza commercial around this time. I don't want to say what brand it was. I suspect it might have been Chicago Town. <laughs> I have searched for it on YouTube, but I can't find it. Uh, yes, he's now, he's now the American narrator of the Teletubbies, I found out the other day. I had no idea. Yes. And also, I think, in one of the latest Mission Impossible movies, having been in one of the previous Mission Impossible Probably, yeah. Nighttime Demeter footage always looks gorgeous. She was with the 79th working undercover. You better sense Now, I was also very pleased to accept the part of Commander because it was much earlier starts than when I was playing Orin because of the makeup, of course, which was much more complex. So they laid on a car for me. Oh, very nice. So I was picked up every morning and taken to Pinewood Studios. Weren't you often carpooling with, with Lou Hirsch here? Absolutely right, yeah. Hey, Orin. It is quite surprising considering that, considering you're playing the guest villain in this episode, you then get a fairly prominent subplot with Orin as well. It's a great showreel for me, if only yes. you could see my face in either of the parts. Yes. Yeah, we've got a lovely, uh, lovely subplot, as you say, with the, the Zwellin coming up and, uh, yeah, and Kamada. A peeper. I don't believe it. Believe it? Everyone else is on a homicide. Now get going. The lady sounded pretty upset. This is one of the occasional Space Precinct storylines that I find quite uncomfortable yes. to watch, a little distasteful, in that we are now investigating a voyeur, essentially, who's been prying on a beautiful Creon lady. How would you explain that to your children, watching well, this on a Saturday night? Being a kid watching this first time, I have to say a lot of that kind of stuff went over my head. Watching it now as an adult, there is a lot in this show that is tonally inappropriate for a family audience. I don't know if that was part of the appeal back in the day. It was sort of, oh, this is a slightly more grown-up thing. Or if it was part of the reason that the show struggled at times to 
to find an audience. Yeah, I, I think so. And yet it would have been a simple matter just to trim those little lines of dialogue. Yeah. I mean, there's one episode where Haldane's mentioning alien porn, for example. Oh, yeah. Is that smelter skelter? They find them on the ship, yeah. Flesh mags. Right, I mean... Tisk, tisk. Yeah. Oh, how sweet. And what a crock. Alrighty, now that we've gone through the introductions, why don't you show us the crime scene? And this is something as well that I've always found interesting with this show is it's the 88th Precinct, Demeter City, but they also seem to handle things that affected all of Altor, and yet we see in this episode there are other precincts protecting we know not what. Yeah, And they've come to Demeter anyway, so... Yes, not quite thought through. No. You know this guy? Oh, yeah. You've seen him? Now, I think the incongruous shot where I was told just to stand and look off camera, not really understanding what the intent was behind the shot, and I think you can see... Sounds like it might be a serial killer. Was it just meant as a pickup shot to be dropped in anywhere? Yes, exactly right. And I think it comes as, uh, as Rolf Saxon sees me in a moment. took her up to Not really. Do it anyway. It's also, I think, rare for this show to have another American guest actor. I'm assuming he is either American or Canadian. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I didn't get here in time, okay? It's a lovely performance, too. It is. Again, it seems so strange to me as a kid, because all I knew was as the pizza guy. <laughs> now suddenly he's in this grown-up show, but... Oh, manhandling a poor body in the background. And also, Brogan isn't being particularly sensitive here, considering that uh, he's just lost his partner, Rolf Saxon, yeah. in a horrific way. And I think we're about to come up with Castle on the, the Star Trek trope. Sees the dead body. How does she know her? Ah. Uh, they were at the Academy together. Of course they were. Took senses something from Rolf Saxon. Chloe Vincent. Thereby opening the door to a whole series of Space Precinct Academy novelizations. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, we're closed. Ah, here we go. As he looks in the mirror, there behind him is Mr. Potato Head, just standing, oh, right. staring into the middle just distance. Clearly enjoying nothing that he's looking at, yes. Okay, yes, suddenly the place is a lot more crowded. Yes, it's very odd. Interesting, yeah. So obviously filmed as part of the same action as those first scenes. Yeah. I take it there's no, like, mementos or anything from this episode specifically that you'd have kept or aside from any paperwork, maybe? No, I don't think I even have a call sheet from oh. Predator and Prey. Did you see him? I can't say anything because my mouth doesn't move. <laughs> I was going to say, and I don't have a name. Uh, is there any point where you can look at an extra like there or milling around in the background think I can tell who was in that costume. Or not at this uh, distance, I'm afraid, in time, no. There are some folks out there who probably can. I'm sure there are. I mean, I do, I remember all this so clearly. I remember shooting this scene. Yeah? Yeah. We're about to see uh, Lee Tinkler, I think, is playing the uh, 
Creon woman. And she would have... Was she the Alicia monster? Yes, she was. Oh. And there we are standing in front of, you know, the full-size police cruiser. Yes, you got to ride in that a few times, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it's a lovely thing. And now we start ramping up the comedy. Yes, indeed. I was also thinking there, as we're introduced to the, the young lady there, it was a running thing with Creon young ladies that their eyes were bigger. And as they got older, their eyes shrunk. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite sweet. You'd have to talk to Gary Pollard about that, I think. He designed a lot of the masks. Yeah, what a guy. Yeah, what a guy. Uh, of course, this is not me about to be pulled into the no. dumpster. This was Glenn Marks in a rubber stunt mask. Oh, brilliant. So were you just not allowed to do a stunt, even though it was quite small? That's me, of course. Oh, um, yeah. Yes, I think, I think it was preferred that the stunt man did it. Oh, OK. <laughs> I imagine Glenn was like the go-to stunt person, because I know he did some falls yes. in like, Time to Kill and, That's and right. others. And what's the episode where we're abseiling in from the ceiling as well? Oh, it Illegal? Is it? I yeah. Think so, yeah. That was him too. Yes. I've got to say as well, in a HD AI upscale, the series looks gorgeous now. Doesn't it? It's like a, a layer of dirt that's been on there for decades has been just ripped off. Absolutely right. And the, the effect stuff in particular looked great. You were there too? Did you see anything? Just a jerk masquerading as a police lieutenant, sir. Haldane, a man you're Lovely. Yes, he's ever the professional, is our Haldane. I'm also wondering if this is shot slightly darker than, than usual to sort of up the tension a bit. Yeah. And if you people would do your job, like checking the security recordings of the taunt, then you'd see him too. Well, as a matter of fact, they're like children, aren't yes. they? Yes. It is reviewing the recordings right now. Yes, is there anything else you want to tell us about how to do our job? Go and pick on slow mo. Professionals act like it. Ah, lovely Jerome Willis. Your captain tells me I can expect your full cooperation. He seemed always the most professional of all of us, actually. And we held him in great regard and respect throughout the whole quite right filming process. Captain, we've got the autopsy report on oh. There he is. Our man Carson. None found. And when I was first watching the show, this would have been shown as episode four. So that was his introduction wow. on, on the BBC at least. So not that he really got introduced properly at any point, but very busy actor, I remember. It was always having to be um, let go early during the day to get to the RSC to play Julius Caesar or something. What are you telling me? Lieutenant Walker's partner lost her will to live? I can believe that. Ooh. I imagine it was something, so almost like a checklist. We've got to have some friction, some uh, interpersonal problems. Yeah. Uh, now, the writer whose name I didn't oh, see there. I did. Sagan? Yes, Nicholas, Nicholas Sagan. Sagan. Yeah. I don't think wrote any others for the series, no. which is interesting because this, I think, is quite a successful episode. Yes, mm. I am not the only one around here who puts in long hours. Whatever makes you feel good, slow mo. And this was around the point, probably like two or three episodes after Mary Woodvine was allowed to use her own voice. Exactly right. You can I, you can tell, can't mm. you? It helps enormously, doesn't it? Thanks, slow mo. Later. Ah, a piece of paper that we don't even use today in offices. Fantastic. Now he's got to go and uh, upload a, a gigabyte or whatever it was he used to do. Stress. Stress? Oh, maybe that explains it. Walker's mind was really muddled when I read him at the club. Like a book where the letters kept changing. What do you think of the masks? I think for the most part they hold up really well. 
uh, I can't even like sense the the obvious fact that there was a puppeteer with a radio control, you know, working it all off screen. There just comes a point, and I think we're at it now, where it just all the movements become so fluid. It's one unified performance, and that's for all of the the main alien characters. Quite a few of the guest ones as well, to be fair. Mean and moody. Oh, I've got to go home to my family, and I've got to talk to them. And, oh. Earlier tonight at the Taunt, the new downtown hotspot. Late night news has learned. Now, I think this scene coming up was actually the first scene I shot as Kamada. Ah, the nightmare scene. Because I remember, I think I had poles in the cape to hold out so that the cape kind of ballooned to my sides. And I remember going down on my knees and using them like walking sticks, for a joke, of course. Of course. And Alan Hume, who I think had worked on Empire Strikes Back, mm -hmm. said, Oh, it's my mate Yoda! Did you oh. know Chloe Vincent? She was a classmate of James. Oh dear. Get back Everyone's always a classmate of somebody's in these shows. Yeah. And luckily, one of the things in this episode's favour is I don't think there's too much broken family stuff in this. You know the rules. All Wayne! There he is. Captain Scarlet. Thanks a lot. But not yet, of course. No. There's nothing we can do. And it's strange how so many other actors got their voices dubbed in this show, and yet every time pretty much he appears, he's, he's kept his own voice. Will you give me that? Come on, give me that. And this is quite a sweet creature as well. Nice little subplot of this Zwellin that Orin and Romek have found. Come on. Yes, it's lovely. As, as Rob Thurtle, who was in the suit there, isn't here, perhaps I could be permitted to tell his story. Please do, yes. So whenever we had new alien, guest aliens, uh, they would often be paraded down to Jerry's office. Uh, to show him, and he would ask various questions about, you know, how did we hear, and how are we seeing, and things like that. And uh, so, sure enough, when Rob put the Zwellin costume on for the first time, he was taken down to Jerry's office. And of course, Rob being Rob, he got up to sort of ape-like antics on the desk and rolling around on the floor. And Jerry was very impressed, as you might imagine, and then said, um, uh, so uh, what are you seeing out of? <laughs> and what was he seeing out of? His own eyes. Oh, OK. <laughs> he said, these are my eyes, Jerry. <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing how, aside from the face, she's dreamt him pretty much as he <laughs> is. <laughs> you can't quite see, but there's also etched on that black spandex leotard uh, a, uh, a, a skeleton, ribs and, and spine and oh, so on. Oh, right. Oh, that's an interesting touch. Not very apparent. No. Oh, wow. That was a bad one. Nightmare. I imagine if, if this were done today, that would be played up a bit more. Nothing. Your mother just had a bad dream. Because the costume is, is cool. quite simple, and 95% of what makes it work is your, is your performance, particularly the eyes. But it's also great that it's so simple because you can be Kamada for Halloween <laughs> if you were mad enough to, to dress up as a Space Precinct character for Halloween. But it's a little on the nose, isn't it? The black cape with the high collar. Yes. It screams baddie, doesn't it? We're looking for a serial killer in this bar. Where is he? Oh, that guy over there doesn't look a bit uh, exactly. strange. Somehow I had the feeling it's that guy who's been killing all those women. Somehow I had the feeling oh. he's doing a lot of work there, isn't it? Yes. That line. Way to make it all about yourself, Sally. Also, some nice sinister music in this episode as well. There you are. So Walker did see someone. Slow mo. 
I have crosslinked with interplanetary species unidentified. Oh, and I think we get to see Officer Orin in his uh, civvies at some point. Yes. And I'm sure I've seen his jacket that he wears for sale. Prop masters or similar, yes, I've seen that. No. Yes, they have a lot of um, nurse, uh, ambulance drivers, paramedics and so on costumes. What? Your request was to scan all files within the last... I mean, these scenes, as you can imagine, were an absolute hoot to film. Yes. You're kidding, let me see the files. Even taking into account the difficulties of working in a mask you can't see and you can't hear. I mean, the antics we get up to here is just so much fun. And it's surprising considering how much with other shows, I'm like, oh, we're doing a, a comedy subplot. Oh, okay, I'll put the kettle on. I'm not interested in this. Or in a Romex stuff, I have a, I have a lot of time for. And particularly the, the Zwelling stuff is, is so silly. But it works. It does work. And what's interesting, we sort of end up playing the roles that we were always destined to play, even though it was resisted to begin with. Uh, so there was a, a scene in Double Duty that Tom Watt and I when he was Beazel, did as Officer Orin and Officer uh, Beazel in Podley's office. And uh, as we were dismissed, we sort of did a Laurel and Hardy gag of bumping into each other and trying to get out the door at the same time. And then we carried on shooting that day and we were told we had to go back and the crew had to carry everything back upstairs to reshoot it because the comedy was considered too broad. And yet just 10 episodes later. Guy in an alien gorilla suit, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it does work. So are you gonna tell us who we're meeting or is this just gonna be your little secret? That shot, the model shot we just had there as well is gorgeous stuff. I love the way the cruisers swoop over the camera, really low. I think Takeover's got some of that as well. you guys wanna knock it off? I'm trying to land this thing in peace suit. So we're still bickering. And are they gonna do that thing that I don't like with this? Yeah, kind of. That thing where they it, it's tried to suggest that it's landing yes. by panning up from the ground. Yes. And it's not the only Anderson show that does it, but this one in yeah. particular, it never quite comes off to me. But gullwing doors actually work. Yes, that's Which a, I, a bit of a development from UFO where they had to have a stagehand propping them up. Yeah. Now, this character approaching us, Oh yes. she has a name. She yes. does, yes. Do you remember the name? I think this is Mag Serple. Mag Serple, interesting name. We're about to meet. Where yes. does this, this name come from? Well, this would be named, she's named for the two assistant editors. That's uh, Mags Arnold, mm -hmm. and of course the lovely and beautiful and talented Charlotte Serple. Fantastic. So, um, what was the thinking behind <laughs> naming a prostitute after these two ladies? I don't know. <laughs> oh, bless. I'm Walker. You Max Serple? Uh-huh. You got something for us. OK. Serple is actually a very rare Cornish surname, so for it to have survived okay. into the uh, 21st century on yes. distant planet Altor is quite something. I'm just looking at the, the face and thinking, I've seen that face in other episodes. I nothing springs to mind, but it happens so often with the guest aliens in this. Alexa Rosewood, I think, playing uh, Max Serple. OK. What do you want? So that was the way it sort of developed. As time progressed and more guest characters were introduced, they obviously realised that they needed far more actors to play, particularly female aliens. Mm. Uh, so Lee Tingler, who I think was only brought on to play the alien in the first episode, was retained or brought back many times. And Alexa Rosewood joined us probably about now. I've got the name Joanna Burns in my head. Is that another one? Now, Joanna Burns famously is the most uh, well-paid extra on Space Precinct. Uh, she was really only an extra. I don't think she ever said a line. I don't think she ever played any aliens. Um, and yet, 
partway through the series, she was put on the same contract as the rest of us. Wow. Which wasn't bad. No. For 1994. Now this, I'm guessing, is somewhere on the Pinewood back lot. Yeah. Um, but there's enough smoke around that you can't really identify yes. any of the buildings. Pretty cold, I remember. I don't know what time of year this was shot. I'm thinking October for some reason. Lieutenant. Oh, there you are. And it's interesting that they, the killings occur that way rather than with a knife or strangling or something. I think they say that it's the victim loses the will to live or something, that he just sucks the life, which is, which is strange. Loses the will to live. Death by boredom. Yes. Where? I lost him. Oh, dear. I mean, there's no sense of them working together at all on this, is there? No, it's just every man for himself. Free! But at least now Haldane has seen that this guy exists. Now, I think, if memory serves, I actually do get shot in this. I'm on my way. Walker, you... Walker! Walker! I think he fires some bullets. I remember having squibs planted in the costume mm. that exploded. It's a scrap metal yard. <laughs> Are these great tubes and like old turbines? They're quite effective, aren't they? Yeah, do you remember if any of this was specially brought in or if it just happened to be in the yeah. vicinity? Yeah. Can't remember. Because you didn't do too much filming outside of the the buildings at Pinewood. I don't know. I remember there's a scene on the gantry and I think The Witness. Right, um, yes. And obviously there's this stuff. And Death Watch, I think. We're outside. Oh, yes. Oh, that lovely landing pad with a bunker, yes. So how long did it take for you to, when you were practicing this, to actually have a sense of, all oh, right, that is Kamada? Was it something that came to you once you had the costume on, or...? Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, and the mask does an awful lot of work. Mm. Um, I knew I looked sinister enough, and it was just about finding some sort of... Uh, I suppose you go for stillness, don't you, in these sort of roles? Mm. That menacing, brooding stillness, particularly in those scenes where, I, you know, creeping up from, from behind. Yeah, there is something very, well, as the title says, predator. It was almost like a shark, uh -huh. the eyes and the teeth. Yeah. So it, there was some part of it that was a mask rather than a makeup job? Uh, no, it, so it was, it was rather different to, to, to Orin's makeup, which was, which was a mask and was in separate parts. Uh, from what I remember of Commander, it was more uh, traditional sort of uh, um, uh, latex makeup, whatever they used. I had a skull cap over my own hair, mm -hmm. and then Kamada's skull cap was placed on top, and then the rest of the makeup was placed in sections and glued to my face. So it was quite supple. I could, you know, move it very easily. Yeah, quite expressive. That's right. Whereas with Orin, of course, there's not a hope. He said it. <laughs> now I like I like Ted Shackleford's performance uh, yeah. throughout the series. Actually, is broken. Yeah, there's never a moment where I feel he's not invested. No. Um, he was quite humble about it. I remember he did uh, one particular, Rob Thirtle again, uh, one particular episode where he had to show a fair bit of emotion about something, I can't remember what now, or which episode. And I remember talking to him afterwards, and he just said, oh, it's just soap acting. Oh, I thought he was doing himself down a bit. Yeah. Four of the victims were killed in the club area, so we shall concentrate our efforts there. Now, as you in your cities. Uh, taken great care, of course, to have the zip on my coat at exactly the same level as the zip on my police co uh, jacket. 
Right. I had this thing about Orin always doing a zip up to the same level. Sergeant. All right, folks. Because in my mind, and I think it was borne out in later scripts, he lived with his mum. Mm -hmm. So I had the idea that every morning he put his police jacket on and she would come up and do his zip up and say, come on, you'll catch your death. <laughs> All of these things the audience will never know, but as an actor, they're kind of little tiny things to hang a, hang a character on. I think it's mentioned in one of the final episodes and then it got snipped out. I think it's in the two-part, the two-parter. It's only in either the feature version or the two-part episodic version. I was just wondering as well though, considering he's now got his civvies on, do they actually appear after that? We'll find out, I guess. We'll find out. Now, I sent that picture. I had that exact picture for a long time and I sent it fairly recently to someone who wrote to me and asked for a signed picture. Oh, brilliant. So it's, it's now gone. Oh. And probably one of you has it somewhere. Yes. Do let us know, podcast at jerryanderson.com. <laughs> now there's a prime example. It would have been so much quicker for him to get up and just yep. get the book. <laughs> Ah, that's why they never quite work, I don't think, the Tarns. And also their mind-reading skills are never good enough to solve the, the plot no, early. It's always, it's always good enough to get them started, but that's about as far as it can go. And they were condemned to... It's as you say, it, it would be so nice to have had a, a bit more chance to flesh out the Tarns and the Creons. Because the designs are beautiful, the performances are great. A host. And it's just... They may as well be human a lot of the time. Yes. Which is a shame. Yes, that's exactly what we ended up feeling like, I think. I remember in the early days, Tom Watt and I did a little bit of work of thinking about how would these creatures move. And I seem to remember doing, we both had this thing that we did with our neck at one point during one or the first episode, or maybe it was um, the second that we did with John Glenn. That uh, we had this idea that they would kind of raise and extend their necks to make them look, feel sort of a bit more reptilian. Okay. And I think it lasted for a scene, and then yeah. we realised that no one else was doing it. <laughs> no, I imagine the extras in the background couldn't have done it anyway. Uh... No, this is all uh, purely academic. It says here. So Took is now in an antique bookshop looking for a history of the Mechie, and of course she's found the first bookshop she's tried. She's found someone who knows all about it. It's either going to be the first bookshop or the very last one on her list. Yes. It's always the way in these shows. Perry, it's Kamada. I know it and you know it. You have to remember, neither of these actors can see a thing or hear a single thing. So where would the Tarns be seeing out of? Would it have varied from person to person or was there like a, a standard rule? You can just see under the eyes. They've kind of got like eye bags slits, yeah. and there are little slits in there. Now, oh, men in the shorts are still hanging around. <laughs> you can't get rid of them. And Simone Bendix hated this costume. Yes, they put her in several um, shall we say, unflattering costumes in scenes like this. She felt a little bit uh, objectified, I think, mm. and was rather upset with Sydney Hayes. Yeah. No sign of our boy, bro. Nowadays, of course, she'd be listened to. Yes. She's fine. And uh, as I was talking to Charlotte earlier, we mentioned the music, and she pointed out that there was no music, obviously, when this was being filmed, so everyone is dancing yeah. to silence, essentially. Yeah. And that's usual practice. Yeah. Even today on a TV series. Stay close to its host at all times. I suppose that's why it's good that the music doesn't really ever hit a sort of stride as such. It's kind of just background noise, really. And because, of course, they do that because the dialogue has to be clean. Yeah. But it also does give the impression that all these nightclubs only have one song. <laughs> and yet they keep bringing the same clientele back every night. <laughs> it works. Uh, Tuck's in such a hurry, she doesn't listen to old man bookseller. No. Hal Dane is enjoying himself, though. Yes. If he were enjoying himself anymore, he'd be on the stage. Well, the work, officer. The night isn't over yet. Ooh. Snarl. 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 Snarl.
it's also a bit rich coming from him considering he put his partner in exactly the same position and then watched her. <laughs> but he's a professional, so it's okay. So degrading. Don't say anything. I know where you live. Yeah, I, I can think of like two or three other episodes where Simone is in costumes like this. I remember one was the a sort of strip-off dress bit, and yes. that's quite demeaning to the character at the end. It doesn't help, I, and I, I like Rob Youngbud's performance. I think he plays what is written. It doesn't help that Haldane, a lot of the time, in, in particularly in moments like this, is written to be Mr. Sneery, Mr. Yeah. This is great fun. Yeah. That's right. Bit of green screen there, I think. And that too, oddly. Yes. That doesn't quite work, does it? It's still a great expression. What have I done? And it's a moments like that that I'm never clear to what extent he knows that he's sort of occupied and that this is largely down to him. But I guess it works as a nice ad break cliffhanger. Where's Walker? Uh, he's at the bar. You've got to get him out of there. Whoa, slow down, Tuck. What's the matter? There isn't time to explain. You've got to trust me. Kamada lives inside Walker. What? Kamada? Oh, is this the squid moment? Oh, I think it might be. There's also a rather lovely moment coming up that happened quite by accident. Is it here or is it in the house? I'll tell you when we get to it. And this poor extra in his smart business suit and again with bits stuck to his face, the little prince. <laughs> that's right. Give it up, Kamari. Oh, that's a cool shot. Yes, I think that made it to the uh, this episode montage. Yes. Here we go, one and two. Oh, there he goes. Again, if you watch the series enough times, you do see the same extras appearing again and again. And there's one coming up later that I want to talk about as well. Um, but now Mr. Walker has been revealed as the guy who is the host of Kamada. You know what you have to do. So, what are we going to do to get rid of Kamada? Shoot me. Walker, you don't want me to do that. You never have a better excuse. <laughs> Come on, damn it, shoot! Walker, I can't! No, Walker! And again, that's quite heavy stuff for a, a family show. It really is. I don't. I know there were some scenes reshot for the BBC version. I can't imagine how they would have got around that on the BBC. He has to do it. And interestingly, of course, from Rolf Saxon, that shot there, we're seeing the top of the soundstage. Oh yes, I realised that. He never got out of the ambulance. I was with him the whole time. What about Kamada? I don't know. He must have died inside Walker. Everything's fine and sorted. I'm coming home. Okay, end of episode. Yeah. In the morning. I love as well that they don't really have time to establish a hospital, so we just put a note notice board up in the background, stick the word nurses on it and call it a day. That's all you need. Yeah. He needs Walker in order to survive. Don't tell us, Haldane. You need a ride home. Now, I used to love these little kind of secondary sets, the canteen and the corridors. Yes, the lab. Gives a real sense of scale and geography to the station house, I think. Were there ever any rooms that would double for other rooms? Because I, I, this kind of also looks a bit like where they would have briefings sometimes. Yes, I think you're right. And I think, of course, a lot of these panels were obviously movable and could be assembled in various different ways mm. to make different size rooms. Yeah, much like um, Moonbase Alpha. Mm -hmm. Shot on the same 
stage, of course. Yes. It doesn't guarantee that the Mechie dies too. I love this well, as well. Oh, now that it's relevant, I've got a bit more information for you. <laughs> I was going to tell you earlier, but you ran out. <laughs> and I've only waited until now. It immediately finds a new one. And again, shots like that are interesting, where you've got a close-up on an alien character and you're getting the expression. Yeah. And there as well. Yeah. I think it's uh, on record somewhere that um, I think uh, the episode The Enforcer where Rob Thurtle was playing Trask, a Tarn, yeah. essentially carrying the episode as the lead alien. And it was that episode that convinced, I think, a lot of the directors and Jerry that the masks and the actors playing the aliens were strong enough to take dramatic moments, yeah. comedy moments, and play the whole range of, of character. Yeah, you just mentioned that, that character, and I can immediately think of a couple of moments where he's got some really interesting expressions. I think there's a bit where he's with Podley, and Podley says something, and Trask is like, it's just, ooh. Yeah. So, Brogan is home. Everything seems to be taken care of. Kamada is definitely dead. He's got to be dead. Brogan's got a bit of a headache. I wouldn't worry about the headache. Just have a drink of water, you're fine. Yes. In the amazing fridge. It was always being shown off on previews of the series. We've got a fridge. Space fridge. Yes. Family. Kamada is not dead. He's with you now, Brogan. Oh, no. Where the hell they know? What? Just get out of there now, and he's got Brogan doesn't need a reason to get away from his family, though. Oh, good, I've got to get away. <laughs> oh, darn, I'd love to stay. And now, Patrick. we have a reenactment of her nightmare. Yes. And great music through, through this scene. She starts to get slightly unsettled. This seems very familiar. And I'm assuming that's the shower I've never seen in any other episode. Oh, yes, you're right. I don't know what I've been doing there. And of course, I love the way, again, the camera cuts away immediately. Mm. You just see the, the side of my head. And then I'm in. So, this shot coming up. Ah, more shots to the chest. Yes. So, as I run through the corridor outside, by mistake, I think I went low and the camera went high, but it looks like I'm taking flight, which is quite nice. Yeah, and I love the moment where he's approaching Sally, and it's almost like there's no, there's no sort of human kind of intelligence. It's all animal stuff, and he can't understand why are they shooting at me? I'm just doing what I normally do. I'm, I'm just feeding. But... I don't like this, brother. Can't put slow mo in danger. Monster, one way or another. Yes, it wouldn't quite work with slow-mo going around killing people. <laughs> Although, you know, yeah. be a twist you wouldn't see coming. Absolutely right. Again, we don't really have a docking bay set, so let's just kind of fudge let's it. Just strip everything out, just yeah. have the bare walls. That works. I think it, it, was, it was better later on when they built a model set and you see it full of cruisers. That looks really nice, but obviously you can't do that on a, a life-size set. Safety regulations. I require authorization. I'm a lieutenant, slow-mo. I authorize it. Duly logged, Lieutenant Brogan. I am obliged to advise you that such a charge may prove fatal to humans. Just do it! Yes, sir. Ready. Do it! So slow-mo's lines were played back live into the studio, having been pre-recorded by Gary Martin. And... Oh, so he wasn't doing a Nick Briggs and recording it live on the set? No. And it is, you know, we've got to wrap up the story somewhere. It is a bit sort of, you know, I think they say, you know, delete button and bye-bye bad, bad guy. It's very simplistic, but it's nice. Yes, I don't mind it at all. No. 
I mean, I can imagine if you were writing a story like this about a being that enters other people's bodies and consciousnesses and souls, that you would probably think quite early on, I know how to get rid of him. Get him into slow-mo and delete it. Yeah. And that would be where you're heading throughout the whole yeah. writing the script. Although I suspect possibly if it was made today and they were making it and they could see, oh, we've got a really good villain here. Let's just tweak the end and, oh, he lived. Yeah. Where did he go? He went off into space. Yeah. Maybe he'll come back one day. Yeah. Um, but I presume they would never think of bringing back characters from previous episodes. Yeah, I mentioned that I love this job. So that's it, poor Kamada has been deleted. He didn't even get an action figure, unfortunately. No, you're right. No, that would have been fun. Yes. <laughs> Recreating murdering prostitutes with our little uh, toy set. Ah. Someone out there really should do a custom Kamada figure, I think. I checked with the 79. Now, you just caught sight of uh, Orin and Romek there as the camera panned over. There we are. Now, uh, Lou Hirsch, as you can probably tell from his attitude there, sitting with his hand, hated being in the background of shots like this. I used to quite like it because I used to think it would kind of give a life, gave a life to Orin to, you know, while the rest of the plot is going on, we're still doing our stuff. I seem to remember you spraying plants or something and yeah. having a little pot plant. Yes. I also wonder about the chairs. They've always looked really uncomfortable to me. They were. Bye bye, bad guy. Yeah. Delete. And not as sturdy as you might hope either. I no, think. Oh dear. Uh, not gonna work on me. I'm hitting escape. Later, guys. Hey, Halday. Don't you need a ride? No. Again, that must have sounded slightly futuristic to, to people who weren't so up on computers. Back in the day, we've got a delete button, we've got an escape button. Oh, not everybody has that. Oh, come on. Don't tell me you two are all spooked by this commodity. Again, you mentioned sort of real-world stuff. This is something I kind of liked. It was not quite a subplot, but it was almost just background business of how they needs a lift here and there, or the girls need a lift here yeah. and there. Yeah, it just fleshes out the characters a bit. Mm. I bet the little guy's as happy as a slatworm in milk. You see, there was no reason for us to be in the background in that previous shot. No. We could just have walked in now. My office! What did you say, slapworm? Happy as a slapworm in milk? You say please. Uh-uh. Not good. <laughs> oh, it's a lovely creature. Ah, now is this the extra you were going to mention? This is the extra I was going to mention, yes. Do you know his name at all? I've met him a couple of times at conventions. He was in Star Wars famously, and I think at the Indiana Jones movies. And... He's in the MI6 Ops Room in Goldeneye, the first time Judy Dench comes on screen. He's also in the courtroom scene in Protect and Survive. So I'm just wondering if it's meant to be the same character, but probably not. Yeah, I just... It's such a, an odd amount of attention to give a non-speaking actor, yeah, but yeah. it's a way to get rid of the Zwerlin. Now, this scene, how many uh, takes did you have of um, That I can't remember, but I do remember Rob being very heavy <laughs> and it being very uncomfortable in that mask, being hit, you know, because girls, the mask would move and jam into the bridge of my nose, I remember particularly. But, you know, grit your teeth and get on with it. Yeah, imagine it very hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> He's gone for good. Mm. Or is he? Freddie might come back in my dreams. Or maybe in 30 years' time, he'll be yes. sitting and watching this episode. Or oh, we're creating some kind of paradox here, <laughs> some I kind of loop. have to figure out a way to keep me awake. <sighs> Again, this is the kind of thing that also went over my head as a kid, obviously. Um, it was more like, you know, I prefer ending with the sort of action stuff, really, but that's just me. So there we go, that was Predator and Prey, and uh, 
Where's your name? Where's your name? Come on. Now I think there he is. only credited as Commander yes. and not Orin. Very unusual. Ah, man number one, implying there was a man number two. <laughs> well, that was Predator and Prey, and how do you feel that holds up 30 years later? I mean, I'm impressed. Yes, I'm very impressed too. It's always been one of my favourites, partly because of the standout performance of this gentleman beside me here, and also the fact that it's probably just a damn good story in its own right anyway. I think so, and it's quite uh, effectively shot, I think. Mm -hmm. And as you say, it looks amazing in uh, sparkly, upscaled, AI oh, HD. Does, yes, if you don't have access to ITBX Premium, you're missing out with this because it just looks beautiful. Ah, so anything else you want to say before we wrap this one up? Goodbye. Goodbye. It's goodbye from him. And goodbye from him. Goodbye. GTV. How yeah. come you get to watch the randomizer? Because I'm in it. Because I'm, I'm in it. I was in that, and I watched it. I'm right. in the randomizer. I suppose you are. Yes. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Am it's I the meta. first person you've met? No. Who's no. been in, in yeah. the randomizer? No, I'm thing. not. Am I? But not by long chalk. Um, well, because you've met them all, haven't you? Yeah, but not who's been on the podcast, probably. Oh. Yeah. Matt Zimmerman back in the day when yeah, we had his yeah. recording from That's right, yeah. Shane, Shane, I guess, yeah. and some of the... Yeah, actually, it's quite a few. <laughs> yeah, you're not special <laughs> oh, at all. Oh, Sorry. thanks. Anyway, it was great fun to watch Predator and Prey. Yeah, lucky you. And actually, I mean, you know, quite apart from the fact that I'm in it, quite a lot. Mm. Quite a nice episode. It is I a really episode. enjoyed it. Yeah, it is good. Who was the director on that one? That was Sydney Hayes. Uh, and I have to say, it looked absolutely gorgeous because you know, we keep talking about the HD upscaling and so on. It looks wonderful. It does look amazing. Crisp in and HD. beautiful. Yes. yes really. Crisp and beautiful, he was in it. Yeah. <laughs> he looks particularly lovely in HD. Crisp and beautiful. Not much of a career since Space Precinct. I don't know what he's been up to. <laughs> Yeah. And if you know, do email us, podcast.com. I'd love to hear from Crispin, see what he's up to. <laughs> yeah, that was nice, Predator and Prey. Enjoyed it very Brilliant. much. Yeah, yes. Uh, join us next week for another randomizer. It's random. Can't tell you what it'll be, because it's random. So chances are Richard won't be sitting in on it. Uh, and, or nor will I, because I'm not in any episode that's in yeah. the randomizer. Yeah. I think also Chris has watched every Space Precinct episode in which I play other parts as well as Orin. Ah. But um, obviously, you know. I could, I could watch another one with him. Good to know. Yeah. I'll have a listen out outside yeah. the door. And then run, run in. <laughs> exactly. Okay, good. All right. So we may see you on the randomizer. Yes. We'll definitely see Chris. Yes. And then we'll definitely be back next, next time week. for yes. pod two, two seven, seven, seven. Oh. oh. <laughs> see you then. Bye. Bye. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. I do get confused by all the numbers. Yeah. 270. Even though they just go up by one every week. Oh, I know, but that's even that's too complex to me. Apparently so. Ah, oh, Charlotte, I can't get to grips with things like the, um, um, you know, the, the thermostat. Oh, yeah. I can't understand it. Right. Well, maybe you turn it up and it clicks. Does that mean that's where it is or where you want it to be? You see? These are things clicking on, so it's not at that temperature. So yet, it's clicking it? on. Well, unless you're turning it down, you then see, it's clicking on. You see, even off. you don't know. <laughs> 
Is it any wonder that I get confused? Right, I'm going to come around to yours and teach you how to use your thermostat. How's that? Come around to... No, no, actually... No, I think <laughs> no? we'll be fine. Yeah. No, you don't... No, no, thanks for the offer, but I think, I think we're probably going to be out, actually. Yeah. That particular so time? Any, any time you come around, we'll be okay. probably out doing right. other things. But thanks for the offer. Right. Yeah. I hope you freeze isn't. to death. Oh, charming. I hope you freeze to death. <laughs> I'm a bit harsh, sorry. <laughs> That was an Anderson Entertainment production.